Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 68. Um, today's episode is with Chelsea Kiefer from Ballet West. I have been trying to get a ballet dancer on this podcast since the very, very beginning, and it has taken me well over a year to um, to get someone. You guys, these ballet dancers, they are very, very, very busy people. Um, very rigorous schedules, as I'm sure we all know, but um, but I feel like I found it out firsthand trying to get someone to come on this podcast. And I'm so, so excited that we finally got Chelsea um, to tell us all about what it was like for her to become a ballerina um, and to talk about what her career is like. Um, I don't have any news today. You know, shockingly, there's just not a whole lot going on. Um I'm joking because, of course, there's not a whole lot going on. I mean, there's a lot going on in the world, but like in each of our personal lives, maybe not a lot. Is that just me um, working from home? Um, I've been joking a little bit that I, I've been like working as much as as I always do, just trying to stay creative and stay productive. But I'm just like, I'm not making any money because all the types of works that um, all the types of jobs that make money are not allowed right now. But I have been extremely productive. I've been writing a ton. Um, I'm not ready to talk with you guys yet about what I'm working on, um, but I but I'm working on stuff that I'm excited about. Um Okay, yeah, that's all. No news. So um, so here's Chelsea's bio. Chelsea was born and raised in the great state of Utah, surrounded by national gems like the Great Salt Lake and Zion National Park. She spent her youth witnessing Utah grow and change and is an enthusiastic contributor to Salt Lake City's blossoming art community as a soloist at Ballet West. Over the past 10 years, Chelsea obtained a Bachelor of Science in Human Development, a 200-hour yoga certification from Kripalu, and studied with a bunch of amazing people whose names you can read in the show notes, but I'm not going to read all of them. Um, As a dancer and a yoga instructor, Chelsea aims to connect her body and consciousness to the point where she's always evolving, always surrendering to the present moment. She walks a path blazed by professional ballerina arenas before her, but often strays to the road less traveled in search of balance. When ballerinas perform on stage, they appear composed, elegant, and alert, but maintaining a healthy presence of mind is a daily commitment. Chelsea began dancing professionally in 2009 with Aspen Santa Fe Ballet, touring their Nutcracker, and later joined the Tulsa Ballet for three seasons and has been a member of Ballet West from 2013 to present. Um, Then she lists some amazing um, choreographers that she has worked with and a bunch of incredible roles in ballets like, or including the Rite of Spring, Ballet... um, the Nutcracker and Swan Lake and a bunch of other incredible roles. Um, you guys can read the specifics. Okay. Um, Chelsea is currently providing mentorship, life coaching, and workshops for dancers who struggle with anxiety through the process of meditation, life skills, daily tools, and yoga. Wellness is a prominent word within Chelsea's vocabulary, whether it is physical or mental. You guys, without further ado, here comes Chelsea Kiefer. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary, and sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. 
We need deep, meaningful connections. But we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Goldilocks Wraps. Goldilocks Wraps are an all-natural and eco-friendly alternative to plastic wrap. These reusable beeswax food wraps are made by hand using locally sourced beeswax. And not only are they easy to clean, they keep your food fresh for longer. Goldilocks Wraps combat single-use plastics with something that is both practical and beautiful. Especially in quarantine, I've been trying to buy produce in bulk and cook in a way that leaves leftovers for the following day. Goldilocks wraps have come in super handy as I'm covering up tomorrow's portion of my lovely home-cooked meals and wrapping up produce to use for future recipes later in the week. It should come as no surprise to anyone that I chose the pink floral set, and I love them all so much. They're so pretty, and it feels great to know I'm supporting a healthier planet in this simple way. Head to GoldilocksWraps.com and enter promo code ARTIFICE10, that's all caps, A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-1-0, for 10% off your purchase today. When we, so, on Friday night, um, Saturday night, yeah, my neighbor called, and it was like 11 p.m., uh-huh. and she was like, she was like, I answered when I was like, hi, Holly. Like, why are you calling me? (laughs) Like 11 p.m. And she was like, the whole mountain is on fire. And I like looked out the window because like the way that our house is, like we couldn't see it, you know, because there's like that big hill. Right. So I looked out the window and I could see like, put this down like a little. Okay. I could see like this glow Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know, like then I could smell smoke. I was freaking out and I ran down here and like, I was trying to think, like, what do I have that's, like, mm-hmm. I use really frequently that's, like, hard to replace? So, I like, I had done laundry, so I just grabbed, like, an entire, like, um, hamper of clothes <laughs> and, like, chucked it in the car. Yeah. And I came down here and I, like, I just grabbed my headphones, but now that one's not working. So, <laughs> maybe I was, like, a little bit too harsh with it. I was, like, yeah. I don't know. What can I, like, <laughs> like, what can, what can you grab that's, like, small right. and also valuable? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, maybe the headphones. Anyway, now it's not working. So oh jokes on gosh. me. I think <laughs> it's probably actually it's more likely that it's one of those cables. Cord. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Rather than like this one. But yeah. yeah, I was like, I'll deal with it later. She'll be fine if like one of the heads <laughs> isn't working. But I'm here with Chelsea. And um, I wanted to just tell the listeners like, gosh, we were trying to schedule an interview in March. Yes. And then there was coronavirus and we had yep. to cancel. Mm-hmm. And then like we had an interview scheduled for today and then my house almost burned down two nights ago. <laughs> <laughs> what a time but to I was be like, alive. We are doing it anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a weird. Yeah. Actually, though, like I swear last night I got the best sleep I've had like all really? year. I think it's just like we were so exhausted. Mm. Because um, the last couple of nights were so strange. Okay, yes. let's start. Let's get into it. <laughs> so um, let's start by talking about what you were like as a creative child. Okay. So what were you up to? What were you getting into as oh a kid? Oh my gosh. Since I was two, I was always dancing around the house. And my mom... Keep talking. Okay. And my mom, um, she she just said like I was always moving. Like she didn't know what to do with me. And I was at like... 
by three, she was just like, okay, like I have to do something with this child. Like I don't know how to entertain her. And so she put me in like little dance classes when I was like three and a half. And, um, I mean, I was always like, I loved cleaning the house. That was also something I always loved doing just to move and be outside. Even, um, I had two older brothers and so we were always playing games. You know, my brother was grabbing me by my belt loops and flying me around, you know? (laughs) So you're, so dance was like a new thing in your family. Yes. It it wasn't like, we just put all the kids in dance. No, not at all. My, my mom, um, she always wanted to be a gymnast And so once she had put me in dance, she was like, well, maybe she'll do gymnastics as well. So I kind of got into it, but I was the only one that was, I guess my oldest brother, he's pretty creative. He's a guitar player. So there's some arts in our family, but, but not dance, not dance. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you started dance when you were teeny, teeny, tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, what about like, do you, do you feel like, well, maybe I'll just kind of ask about now okay I feel like with dance there's such a unique relationship between like dance and music Mm -hmm. um like you're not making the music but like I always I feel like dancers like are musicians too oh totally like we're all in the same yeah yeah I Um, completely agree did you feel like do you feel like you experience music in a different way from like most people Mm, yeah I agree I would say um music it depends on what you're listening to I mean anything that you can dive into like whenever I'm choreographing a ballet and I have to listen to the music like you know yeah 10,000 times times, yeah yeah. (laughs) when I'm diving into music you know there's certain accents you can pick up on or certain rhythms or just like under layers within music and you start to create different patterns in your body and it's I've always found that whenever I hear something that I enjoy like yeah that's why I love going to the symphony you know like any related it's super related I'll just sit there and I'll just visualize like in an entire ballet in my mind yeah and it'll bring me to tears you know because I'm just like oh my god I'd love to see this expressed through movement totally so mm-hmm. when you were little or maybe not like three I mean I'm sure you don't remember <laughs> being three but when you were little do you remember like having a a, a different kind of a relationship with music too or, mm. or back then was it mostly just like your body yeah no it was definitely with music I mean my mom she her dad grew up listening to like Al Green and old blues cool. and jazz music and so anytime and anytime we were in the house we were cleaning and doing stuff like that we would always have that on or mm-hmm. even like Michael Jackson Janet yeah. Jackson you know it was just music was always played yeah. in our house cool um mm-hmm. so when you were when you when you were dancing I mean like maybe a little bit older to where you can remember but mm-hmm. like kind of the earliest you can remember mm-hmm. did um I think I'm I'm trying to ask and I'm not doing a great job but I'm trying to ask like you know did you feel like you were having a different experience in your classes than like your Mm, peers? I think so. Um, I've always been told that like, I'm quick at picking up choreography or picking up tones within the music. And it's something that I still do to this day within ballet West. Um, I, I can kind of catch the rhythm that the choreographer wants. Like I I can kind of pick up on it right away just by the way they're starting to express it in their bodies. And then I just can kind of go with it. Um, so when I was younger, I was actually doing a lot of jazz competitions and gymnastics. And so when it came to that 
type of stuff. Yeah, I was kind of the student that was always like... Like a little on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, talk to me about like... I like to talk with people kind of like in terms of like human development. So like, mm-hmm. how are we developing creativity? Like as children, mm-hmm. how are we developing creativity when we're teens? Mm-hmm. And then like, how are we turning it into a profession? Yeah. Um, so is there anything else that you want to say about like, you know, I, I guess, I guess like part of kind of what I want to ask you mm-hmm. is like, you know, I think dance could be the kind of thing where like you put your kid in dance cause they have a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, this child is like really showing an affinity and like gets more serious about yeah. it. Um, and, and maybe like during the time that you're a child, it's not that creative. It's just like mm-hmm. you're burning calories. You're mm-hmm. just like, you're burning energy. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else that you want to tell about like how you feel like your create creativity or like your artistic identity were changing during, mm. during like the years from when, when you're little, little to like when you're 12. Right. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that just kind of popped into my mind is, have you seen those videos of like babies leading classes to adults? Yeah. So I, I think kids do have that creativity. Like I think that that is ingrained and that's when they are probably their most creative. Yeah. I would say so. Um, and I, I think when it started to shift for me of like, this is what I want to do. Um, was just how it it created this structure that I really enjoyed and really wanted to know more about. It just it just felt boundless. Mm. And so by the time I was about 12 as I was having to choose between ballet and power tumbling actually. Those okay. were the two that I was with. And um I don't know. I I don't know really how the shift happens, but it was just like I knew this is something that I want to keep doing because this is how I feel most myself, you know? And I never like when it came to doing schoolwork or like playing sports, those were never those, the things that I wanted to do or were good at. And I knew I wasn't going to be picked to do them either because I was just kind of like this dainty (laughs) girl, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting breaking down human development. I actually have a bachelor's of science in human development. Cool. Cool. And so it really is a a parent catching on to that rhythm within the child and seeing like how that kid is just fully themselves in that moment. And, you know, the parents encouraging it. It's like, it, it has creativity has so much to do with the environment. Yeah. That you're raised in. I totally agree. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, and I think like my podcast is called artifice because it has, is a cool word that has art at the beginning, Yeah, but also because I think like there are these things that are misunderstood about what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and I'm interested in like kind of our, our identities as artists, like how we feel about art. Mm-hmm. And, and I think another thing that I'm kind of curious about, um, ballet is such a fine art. Like mm. it's such a ballet is like, it's, it's heady, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's, it's kind of highbrow, or at least I think that's like yeah. a reputation. It thing. has an elitist mentality to it. Sure. Mm-hmm. I have a jazz studies degree, which like mm. didn't used to be that way, but jazz is now kind of like a, a highbrow um, mm. type of art form. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like am used to wrestling with these questions, but I'm, 
I feel like, and I'm probably projecting a little cause like I took mm-hmm. ballet as a kid and have, I'm sure I have a very different relationship <laughs> with it than you do. But I, I'm maybe kind of wondering like how you felt about the, the art of it as a kid. Mm. Like, did you, was, was ballet like the most interesting to you? Were you interested in like mm. the ballet or were you just interested in moving? I was interested in moving yeah. and I don't think I actually got into like the history of the work that I was doing until I was much older. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I thought like I loved the story of the Nutcracker, you yeah, know, like yeah. just as a little kid, Who the whole, doesn't? yeah, like yeah. <laughs> the whole magic behind it. And then I got to do Midsummer Night's Dream when I was like nine. And yeah. so that, that was like probably the first ballet when I was like young enough to kind of be like, oh, wow, there's like an actual story happening here right. and there's history. And that was with like a professional ballet? Yes. It was okay. with uh, Ballet West actually. Sure. I, yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Arizona and I... I think I, I don't think I'm misremembering this, but Ballet West would bring a Nutcracker show yes. there. Is that a thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. I th- I'm positive I saw it a couple of times um, yeah. when I was a kid. Now mm-hmm. knowing that for sure they come, I'm sure that that's what it was. <laughs> I thought so, but I wasn't positive. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. So so for you as a kid, it was kind of like it was this boundless thing. It was mm-hmm. creative, mm-hmm. but you weren't like. Um, specifically like entranced by the art of ballet. Mm, I think, I think I was in the sense of the, like there's so much structure behind it. Yeah. And I think that that's like where my type A personality comes out is just like wanting to be perfect at it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I loved being able to just like try and force my body in ways that like typically, you know, you're well, you know, in quotes, you're not supposed to, but just like, isn't natural. Sure. Um, not like intuitive right away. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I, yeah, it's, it was the, the fact that I could move my body in ways that that's what made it feel so boundless. Yeah. And then when it came to the, the, the history and the actual artistry behind it, um, I didn't start really understanding that until I started like doing solos or ballet competitions when I was about 12. And that was when I really started to be like, Oh, like this is something, this is something I'm telling a story here. And that's when it kicked in. Oh, I have a relationship with the audience right now. I'm, I'm connecting with somebody in some way that they've never connected before, you know, and I'm trying to expose something that maybe they've never felt. Totally. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to say anything else about doing that Midsummer Night's Dream? Because uh, that seems like that would be a huge experience. As an eight-year-old, it was. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I mean, it was just being able to like see the story unfold of like just kind of like this magic and like lovers falling into place or, um, and I was just like a little bug. That's all I did. I was like a little bug that ran around in the back and I carried these little lights in my hand and we were even like behind like a, like a scrim, like a backdrop. So we were pretty hidden. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that moment was so cool because I was really able to be in the room with a bunch of professional. That's what I was going to say. Dancers, seeing how they could, balance on point and move and uh, that's when I was just like oh my gosh yeah I had I had an uncle this is just like this memory is just like coming to me in this moment but I had I had so I'm the oldest grandchild Mm. and then my my dad's like 
one of the oldest kids in his family. So I have some uncles that are not that much older than me, Mm. maybe like 12 years older. So Mm -hmm. I I had an uncle that was dating a girl that was in the ballet Mm -hmm. and she was babysitting us one time. Like my parents had gone out of town and she was babysitting us and she took us to, she took us like backstage to something like, I don't know what it was. I mean, I think it was like, it was the Nutcracker, but I don't know Hmm. if she was like a local ballet helping Hmm. Ballet West or if it was a different production. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just remember like, I remember even just like watching, like kind of seeing a glimpse of like the dancers doing like a costume change, like Mm. in the wings, like a super fast one. And just like being really like, I don't know, kind of impressed. And like, um, (laughs) I don't know. I just remember thinking like, those are, adults like those are adults that are like doing this amazing thing yeah um so i have to imagine seeing even more of that like kind of being because i we were just like walking through you know like yeah yeah. i just kind of was like looking and like wow and then like keep moving right um i think maybe maybe she even just needed to like grab something Mm -hmm. from her dressing room or something i don't i don't know um it's very foggy memory (laughs) um but yeah i i feel like that that would have really like that would have done something for me as a child to like mm. watch adults professionally doing this thing that you're doing is like yeah. a, an after school. Right. You know. Right. So let's talk now about, well, I guess I should really quickly ask, were you doing any other creative stuff as a kid? Yeah. So I, I was doing jazz, hip hop, like power tumbling. Um, I tried the piano, but I didn't really dive yeah, into it. Okay. <laughs> I I'm trying now, actually. Good. Since the beginning of quarantine, I I bought myself a little keyboard. That's awesome. It's been a struggle. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to like get your brain to work in a do. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I get that totally. I've been taking like digital marketing classes, and I feel the mm. same way. I feel like mm-hmm. trying to get because I know. I know like what my brain feels like when it's like firing well. Like I know like what that like smoothness feels like. Yeah. And like I am starting to see like little glimpses of like, oh, I get this. Mm -hmm. Like I can see like the beginning to the end. But most of the time I'm just like, what? Yeah. What is is this? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I was I was always kind of doing something with my body. That was what I was doing. What about like visual art? Um, not really. Yeah, I didn't really get into visual art. can't do all the things. Right? (laughs) But I like to ask because sometimes someone will be like, oh, you know what? I did write poetry. And then I'm like, you got to tell me. Right. (laughs) Well, I guess I did. I kind of, I loved writing a lot, actually. I've gotten more back into it, um, I would say, in the past couple of years. But yeah. Do you feel like that like storytelling thing is linked now? Like it's linked up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely. I wouldn't be surprised if you were doing visual art because ballet is also extremely visual. Yeah. I mean, it's not the same. It's like you are the visual art, right. you know, but, um, yeah. but I mean, even like, you know, when we're talking about creativity, I think even some of it is just like how you think about colors, you mm. know, like it can be something so small, but like, you know, looking back and kind of thinking like as a child, I, I suspect I was, you know, we we're having mm-hmm. a slightly different experience mm. in the world, you know, just evidenced by the fact that we've maintained creativity yeah. to such a full extent in adulthood. Right. So I'm curious about that stuff. Like what do the roots of creative thinking like look like? Mm. And like you said, you know, I think all children have them. I feel most, sometimes most of the time I think I feel like I'm lucky mm-hmm. that I like was able to, have enough creative resilience to like Mm -hmm. maintain some of that sometimes I think 
you know, as an educator, you work with kids. I have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think as an educator, like maybe there was something kind of unique about me. Cause like mm. the thing that I know that was intuitive for me, I don't see it that often. Right. Yeah. Which is why I was also wondering, like, mm-hmm. did you feel like you were a little different from some of your classmates? Like yeah. you just got it more quickly or right. cared about it more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do think as I'm talking with adult creatives, like maybe we can get some clues mm. about what that stuff could look like for mm. kids. Mm-hmm. Like it might not look like being amazing at ballet. It might just look right. like the way that they play mm-hmm. or the kinds of questions they ask. Right. I'm obsessed yeah, with it. I agree. I mean, it's, it's been really interesting. I taught at the ballet West Academy this past week. Um, working with the kids and we've been having to wear our, our masks and teach and yeah. you know it was so hard for me to step into that room and be a leader because I have I don't know what's going to happen with my career I mean we're having to make continuous adjustments and we yeah. still don't know when we're going back to work you know everything's pretty hopeful for September as of now but the, our season's continuously changing just because yeah. we're we don't know and so when I had to walk into that room and be a leader, it was a big challenge for me because I don't ever want to rain on these kids' parades and their hope and mm-hmm. their resilience of, you know, I mean, the fact that they came, some of them came from out of state to this summer intensive and took that risk, which is, you know, I'm glad they were, a lot of them were able to get COVID testing. So, yeah. you know, they were able to show up and feel secure and safe. Um, but I mean, to see how much love they have for it, it's like you really have to have so much intention and accountability behind what you say yeah. with the kids. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I've started to get more of that relationship of expressing a story or bringing the magic back into my work, I would say, in the past year, like mm. the most, be- mm-hmm. just because of my coworkers who have said to me, like, you know, when you're doing sugar plum variation, you know, it's like your, your back is like a waterfall. Like you got to yeah. bring some of those like different things back into your mind that you probably felt when you were running around mm. playing with your imaginary best friend. Right. Like <laughs> you know? letting it get abstract yes. again. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about your teen years where you're getting really serious about mm. like developing a skill and developing a craft. Right. You can just yeah. tell me about it. <laughs> so um, when I was 12 and 13, those two summers, I went and trained at the Rock School for Dance Education in Philadelphia. Okay. And I would spend like six weeks every every summer away from home. I wouldn't. Wow, I wouldn't. huge. Yeah. And I started when I was actually 11 at the Ballet West Academy one. And then when I was 12, I went to Philly and I lived in Philly for six weeks, like in a dorm. Oh gosh, as a little tiny baby. Yeah. yeah. And then um, by the time I was 14, um, I moved to Philadelphia for a year and oh I gosh. danced at their boarding school. And wow. I just, because I... I wasn't feeling like I was getting the training I needed at Ballet West at the time. Yeah. And I don't, I didn't feel like they were pushing me and like how I was able to go to Philly and experience all that training and then have to come back for an entire year and feel like I yeah. wasn't progressing was really frustrating. Yeah. And so my, you know, family made a huge sacrifice and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll send you to Philly, yeah. you know? I have so many questions about this. Yes. Um, what did it, what was it like to be like, so serious about something at that age, like Mm. with your peer, I mean, with your peers or like, yeah, I mean, there was parts of me that like, you know, 
was bummed that I missed out on yeah kid experiences of like just playing around having sleepovers or going to dances like yeah there were parts of me that missed out on that but like I just felt so much better when I was in the studio and that just is what continuously drove me yeah that's something that I talk about with my students a lot and I struggle I struggle a lot as a teacher to try to um think of how to talk about this stuff with them because for creatives most of the time you have to be serious about it earlier mm-hmm. like you 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 can't wait until you're 18 to be serious you have yeah. to be serious about it you know anytime you have um a, de- a degree program even where you're going to have mm-hmm. to audition mm-hmm. or submit a portfolio you need to have already been thinking yeah you know thinking like a professional not that you're necessarily there mm-hmm. but thinking like a professional starting when you're 12 13 14 yeah exactly um and i find when i'm talking with some of my students who are kind of older children and younger teens you know they'll talk to me like they want a future as a professional mm-hmm. musician but they really struggle to like do it now you know mm-hmm. to kind of plant their feet in and maybe it's just like they don't want it enough right they don't care about it enough but sometimes I think it's this thing where like, you know, when they're saying to their peers, like, well, I'm supposed to practice. I need to practice. Mm-hmm. And their peers are like, we'll practice tomorrow. Right. And it's like, well, I should also practice tomorrow, you know, like, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's hard for them to like defend it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm kind of wondering, like, yeah. did you feel like you had to like, I don't know, explain to your peers or, or did you get any of the kind of thing where maybe people would be like, did people ever talk to you like who do you think you are Mm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it was it was really hard to relate to kids in my school just because I was the only one that was like and even my teachers were super frustrated with me it's it sucked like I would I got a b in pe class once and my like dad and mom were like what why did this happen like how did this happen do you not know that she dances and does gymnastics like 20 hours a week already at this age like come on dude what happened and so you know he came back and he's like well you know like she's just not so good at these sports and it's like do you not realize she's creating a career for herself right now like this moment yeah of this like sixth grade class of PE yeah doesn't matter yeah (laughs) you know yeah and so it was it sucked like and I would have to miss school to go on competitions for gymnastics or ballet and I was always getting hassled constantly and it was like I mean I when I was doing ballet and tumbling at the same time I think there was about two years where I stuck with both when I was until I was about 12 and that last year I mean I there was two mornings twice a week where I would go to gymnastics from like 6 a.m. Oh my gosh. To 8 a.m. or something like that. And then go to school. And then go to school. And then I would go to ballet down in Salt Lake. And then I would have to, my parents would drive me back like an hour and a half north to North Ogden to go to my power tumbling. Oh my gosh. And then I would be doing my homework in the car. wouldn't get home till nine, nine thirty at night. That's so insane. And it was, I just loved it. That's yeah. all I wanted to do, you know? Oh my and gosh, that's great. That's how you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's and how you know. Like yeah. it's hard, but it's like your favorite, yeah. favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy though. Yeah. Um, oh, I had another question about it. Oh, 
So, okay. I like to talk with people about like when you started to feel like ownership Mm -hmm. over your creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think for some artists, like it's like, it's innate. Like they just have it right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. For some of us, it doesn't click, doesn't really click until college. It sounds like, I mean, if you're, if you're having to make these big decisions, Mm -hmm. it's not like this personal thing. It's like there's evidence of it everywhere that you're Mm -hmm. serious. Mm -hmm. Um, What did that feel like to you in terms of like, you know, this thing of like, I am a dancer Mm. or like, you know, really having this kind of like, you're making these big decisions to kind of like Mm -hmm. deviate from what like normal kids are doing. Right. right. What did that feel like to your like sense of identity? Um, I think what made me feel like I knew what I was doing and how it was, uh, what it was I was supposed to do was performing. Like performing was my biggest thing. Like connecting with the audience was what made me just be like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Having to like stake a claim on your life in such a way. Yeah. It was, you know what I mean? Like most kids don't have to do that. No, it's true. It's so true. And like, I think I just put so much pressure on myself to make sure that I could get into a ballet company that yeah. like, cause I, I already knew it was such a tight knit industry and it just gets harder and harder Yeah, because dancers are dancing into their late thirties now. Yeah. And why is that? Why? I'm just curious. Why, um, why has it changed? I think there's just honestly better medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's actually like, I mean, there's this Alessandra Ferry. She was with the Royal Ballet and she's like in her 50s and she still dances sometimes. Crazy. And there, there's dancers out there like that. And it's it's really interesting. I've noticed a lot of my friends who are in their 30s, like the, it's like you finally get to that point that you've always envisioned yourself as, as a dancer. Mm. Like when it comes to the artistry and the technique of ballet. Yeah. And like Catherine Lawrence, she's a principal in our company and she's 37, 38 wow. and she's got two kids and she's like just still fierce as ever. Amazing. And so it's just, I think directors are now being more open to women yeah. working longer within their careers, you know, at an older age. And, um, yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, I wanted to also ask about like the adults in your life when Mm -hmm. you were 11, 12, 13 and kind Mm -hmm. of making these big life changing decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, was it like hard for your parents to wrap their mind around it or like, were they just like, okay, we're going like, what, Mm -hmm. what was it like? Well, so my mom, that was her biggest thing with me and my brothers was to make sure we were living our passions because she so amazing she didn't get to do that in her life and so she just was like I'm never going to restrict my kids from you know a dream of theirs and so um yeah she she made it happen I mean my brothers were both time were both um skiers like ski racers cool and we grew up in Huntsville and so my dad actually was like the coach for the ski team my mom worked the kitchen so we could get free passes to go skiing and they had their other jobs on top of it you know and it just your your family was just it was it was in your family culture and your family values to commit yeah that's really cool yeah that's cool Mm -hmm. um okay great so let's talk let's talk about like some of those older teen years so you Mm -hmm. went to philly for a year a year yes which is i mean yeah what was 
can you talk about like what the balance was between like, this is amazing. And like, this is really scary. Oh yeah. I mean, it was hard. I mean, that's kind of tells you why I only lasted one year. Sure. It was just, it was so hard to be away from home. Um, you're so little. 14 is so young. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was young. such an eye opener, <laughs> you yeah. know, I was living in the ghetto of Philly and, yeah. um, I just was seeing like, a lot of things that you don't see growing up in a small like yeah. valley Huntsville town is like a yeah. little country town. Yeah, like exactly. No- yeah. North of, for the listener, it's <laughs> north. So there's like Salt Lake, and then like the next kind of big city north of Salt Lake is Ogden, and Huntsville mm-hmm. is like a suburb. Is not even probably the right word yeah. for it. No, <laughs> it's like it's near Ogden, but yeah. like it's farm. It's farm country, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, it was. I loved getting to dance all day but I it was so hard for me to find that balance of like doing online school and yeah dancing and I I cheated my way through my ninth grade year yeah. like the whole time with because I I had friends that had saved their work from the year before and so it was yeah. like yeah I wasn't actually learning and my parents were always like no matter what you have to graduate high school you have to like th- and they made us all my brothers and I all get a bachelor's degree they're just like you, you have to have it. you yeah. know and so um yeah it was I loved that being surrounded by friends though that were just like me just as that serious was as you. just as serious as I was yeah um that's huge. It was huge. Yeah. It, it, it felt like I had finally fit in I'd finally found yeah. my crowd you know I had that experience like in my first like I remember like the first couple of weeks I went to um, like one of the best jazz studies programs in the world mm. in Texas and almost everyone who, who goes to that program is not from Texas. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to really want to be there. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of people who end up there are really serious about it. And I remember feeling that like, oh, everyone is mm-hmm. as into this as I am mm-hmm. and having that be like such a relief yeah like such a relief to not have to explain like why you're obsessed with this thing or like right why it means so much to you and I imagine even just like having a roommate mm. that like you know just for you to feel like understood mm-hmm. in that way mm-hmm. would be yeah. really impactful right definitely so you go, go ahead yeah so th- so I stayed there for a year and um but I was ready to come home. I knew I I wanted to keep training and my mom and I were just trying to find another avenue for me to do it. It was just also too expensive for me to go four years in a row. It was like, I mean, you're basically paying it for a bachelor's degree, you know? Totally. Um, so I moved back to Salt Lake. Actually, my parents bought a, well, rented out a tiny little one bedroom in the avenues Mm. and I started focusing on getting my GED done so I could start college early. Yeah. And uh, we had found a new studio that had opened up called Salt Lake Ballet. And one of the teachers was Cuban. Cool. And um, had really good technique to what he was doing. And I was like, okay, this is more in alignment with what I learned in Philadelphia. And I can still, like he was creating a schedule to where I could still kind of be dancing all day long. cool, yeah. Or at least have a couple of classes during the day. Um, so yeah, I got my GED. Well, I actually, I did that for a year and then that program 
just wasn't enough still. Like my mom and I were always just trying to find That's the so next cool. best she thing. She was invested in it with you. She was, yeah, uh, she was awesome. That's amazing. Um, so then I, yeah, I got my GED and I applied to the University of Utah's dance program and I did that for two years. How old were you? When 16 you... Oh to gosh. 18. I was at the That's U. crazy. <laughs> did you ever like, did you ever doubt? Like, did you ever wonder if it was like not the right thing? Um, I didn't feel that until I was 23. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's when it hit me when I was like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Why am I doing this? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, and that was when I was already in my first job. Um, yeah. I was dancing with the Tulsa Ballet and I had spent three years there and I was kind of like a prodigy child in their company. Mm-hmm. I joined it when I was 18 and I was still doing school online, working on my bachelor's. And then I was having to work at a Fleming's restaurant steakhouse yeah. in, in Tulsa after dancing all day long. Oh my gosh. And dancing all day long, you know, cause yeah. I had to be able to pay my rent. So it was a lot, but I was young and I could yeah. handle it. Like I was just like, let's it's just crazy how it. much energy you have. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I- <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> then crazy. by the, yeah. And so like my first season with Tulsa ballet, I got to perform one of my dream roles. Like, and that was kind of like where that like prodigy moment stepped yeah. in. Where what it was role like, was it? It's um, this ballet called In the Middle Somewhat Elevated by William Forsyth. And wow. it was choreographed, I want to say, like in the late 70s, maybe even 60s. So I'm not sure. Like pretty new. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a very contemporary, like out there piece. And like people, like a lot of the audience members could not handle the music because it's very like not techno but it's it's kind of got that layer of like tech cool to it um but yeah I got to do the Sylvie Gam role and I did I didn't do the whole thing but I got to do the whole beginning section of the ballet wow. through the middle I just didn't do the last pas de deux, the um the principals in the company stepped in and did that section okay, cool. of it but I was so happy that I had that opportunity yeah and I kept getting that the first two years of being within the Tulsa Ballet. And by the second year, I had joined in as a core. Um, and then the third year, um, I was still ranked as core, but my director, Marcello Angelini, was going to promote me to demi-soloist. But that year, I had already gotten a yoga certification. I was still kind of working on school, um, but I just didn't love it anymore. I was like, why am I dancing? I hate this right now. Why? Like what happened? I think I was just mentally and physically exhausted. Like I just, and I, it was really hard working underneath that director. Um, He, you know, the mental game within it was just like too much for me. And he was, he was pretty manipulative. Yeah. Um, So. So when you were asking yourself, Mm -hmm. like, am I doing this for the right reasons? What Mm -hmm. were some of like, what were the questions? Like, um, I just, it, it felt like I was asking myself, like, do I even love myself in this career? Yeah. That, that was really what it was. Yeah. And am I, you know, like, I feel so much better when I'm around people that aren't in this career because it feels like there's just constant competition and, competition and yeah, like it was just, it, yeah, it hit me so hard. I, you know, this is something I've kind of been thinking about recently and, and I, I wonder if it's because like I've been doing this podcast a little over a year mm-hmm. and I ask a lot of the same questions mm-hmm. to people. And I think, I think maybe almost inevitably 
the relationship that we have with art and creativity as kids is going to change when you're mm. a professional because mm-hmm. of this same kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. there starts being politics and there's like mm-hmm. when you have to think about paying your bills with your art, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this kind of early twenties, um, like fear of like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Or like, is this the right thing? Or is this sustainable for me? Mm -hmm. Like you said, like, do I love myself in this? Which I think is such a, it's just, it's something I think that once again, like we have to apply like a creative mind to, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure is the fact that you're still doing it tells me that's what you did. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but like while we're talking about this, I mean, do you have any other thoughts about like, I don't know, like what this thing is? Like, mm. do you think it's inevitable? Do you think it's like, mm. can are, can we avoid it? Mm. Like, I, I think it's I think it's inevitable. I think I don't know if we can avoid it because I think our lives are constantly changing. Our mental game is constantly changing. Yeah. Like we're it's that human development thing, exactly. right? It's like, the evolution of who you are. And, um, and you can start getting tired and you can get, yeah, you can yeah. start getting tired. And like, and I think that's where you have to take that. That's where so many people have gotten so attached to the outcome or to the perfectionist sure. aspect of their careers of what they wanted to achieve. And, you know, your, your paths are going to shift. And mm-hmm. so I was, when I was, made that decision to quit I I didn't quit fully because I was just like I may regret this yeah and I was like I'm just gonna move back to Salt Lake um I'll join Ballet West part-time and so I was just supposed to help them out with Nutcracker and Swan Lake or Giselle and Swan Lake and um then I was going to be able to like figure out what my degree was going to be because I knew I still wanted to go back to school okay, um, or finish it off at least. Yeah. Um, and then teach yoga because I was really into yoga. I was okay. teaching at like five different Let's yoga like studios. Let's talk about how that started. So yeah. we skipped some things, but right. okay. So you were 16, you got your GED, mm-hmm. you did two years yeah. in, in the University of mm-hmm. Utah ballet degree. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then how did you end up in Tulsa? Um, that is where I got my first job and with ba- uh, the Tulsa Ballet. And I got that job through a ballet competition that I did in New York City. Okay. Yeah. So you were just like, you know, in addition to school, you were just um, doing some competitions and then got a job offer. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you moved to Tulsa when you were 18? Yes. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when did you start getting into yoga? I I had actually started yoga when I was about 16. And I was doing Bikram mostly. Okay. Um, and I just loved, again, the physicality of it. Um, yeah. And then when I was in Tulsa, we had this g- free gym membership that was connected with our company. And so... Um, like we would have some really hard days and my friend Jamie and I would just go and take the yoga classes and sometimes we would do the harder classes or we would do, we would start dabbling into like the light candle classes and where it was more about meditation. It was more about being gentle with yourself. And, um, I had found some really good teachers out there that I was just really connecting with. And, um, I had gotten, I think that next year, after my first year in Tulsa, I went and got my yoga certification at Kripalu, which is um, based in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And I spent a month out there um, working on my yoga certification. And You're like such a getter. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) I love that though. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
And that's creative too. Like, yes. you know, we talk about this word creativity and like, I think at first kind of like when it first hits your ears, you're thinking about the arts mm-hmm. and then maybe you're thinking about some kind of an internal skill mm-hmm. of like, a, like a creative, like a creative eye or yeah, something right. or a creative ear. But there's also just this creative, like action taking, mm-hmm. um, which like you, we need all of them. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's another thing that I get really obsessed with Mm. in this podcast and Mm -hmm. like you know the more artists that I talk to the more that I'm kind of just like this stuff is so important right I get a little like obsessed with it (laughs) but yeah I mean like actually creating like the life you want like Mm -hmm. that is something that's so creative yeah yeah and for you to be still what 19 and being like I'm gonna go to Massachusetts Mm -hmm. and get this certification because this is you know, I'm sensing this is something that matters. Mm-hmm. This is an asset to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and how brave to just be like, oh, another place that I yeah. never lived. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Where, yeah. where, how, how did you have that? Like, do you feel like you had to cultivate or grow that kind of bravery? Or is that um, just, I think in it you? was innate. I think it was innate. That's just um, your Chelsea thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, this is maybe just like, a little bit of like a leading question, but did mm-hmm. you have to deal with like people making assumptions about what, who you were as a dancer mm. or like being objectified as a dancer? Mm. Like, is that something you've had to learn to deal with? Yes. Do you, yeah. do you want to talk about oh, it? Oh, we totally can. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I've actually been a big advocate for it. So I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I felt it a lot. Um, and there's actually this like, kind of fantasy for men and ballet dancers yeah and for sure. it's like maybe that's all they see and then it's like no I'm actually a I'm human a person being. yeah <laughs> yeah and so actually when I was in Tulsa Ballet when I think my first or second season there was a guy he he wasn't a full donor yet but he was working his way up to being a donor yeah. and he had started commenting on my social media about my body and gross. just like gross stuff like that and I and I found out he was doing it to other women in the company and so I went and talked to my company manager the director within that day got rid of him he was no longer allowed Good. on the premise so that I felt really safe in that aspect of being like, okay, great. Someone's got my back, you know, this feels good. Um, and I have also just learned to stand up for myself in that way as well. Um, but uh, there also is like, it's so important for a dancer to understand that line of the relationship with the donors of company members of companies, um, because they will objectify you in some form but it's how you choose to respond or how you choose to interact with that. And it happened here at Ballet West. And before it started to happen and I found out about it because that guy also, a donor also tried to get in touch with me and I had received one message and I found out he had been contacting two other females in the company and they were allowing things to happen that should not have happened. And I stepped in and was like, no, we are creating a policy right now to where donors cannot contact dancers without our consent. And if they are technically our sponsor, it is on the dancers, you know, just on the dancer to decide if how they interact with their sponsor. So you can say, no, I don't want to hand up my phone number. No, I don't want to go to dinner with them or yes, Mm -hmm. I can, but these are my boundaries or these are my guidelines within that. And I think that gives power to 
the dancer because in it's really interesting in a lot of young dancers minds when they hear that we are organization is ran by donors they think oh my god they're paying my salary which to an extent yeah they are but that money is going all over the company you know so don't just think it's not on you it's not on you yeah Yeah. totally Mm -hmm. um like related to that um my my sister-in-law is danced for ballet west she had an injury and had to stop Mm. like right when she was finishing Mm. right when she was like going to be kind of taking off in her career. But Mm. when I hear her talk about like, you know, focusing on her body, like building her body, I know that she means those words in like Mm. a way that like, I can't understand them. But can you talk about like what, what that's liked or like how you think about it or how you have boundaries on Mm. like, um, knowing that your body is like the artwork. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, not by itself necessarily, but like how, how do you kind of, um, integrate or separate like your identity and like yourself from like mm. your physicality mm. or like what is that relationship like for you um you know I don't think I've ever found a separation yeah um I I so I'm actually doing a TEDx talk in September cool that's great <laughs> and I'm focusing on how we process emotions and I'm focusing how we process emotions through movement okay and so you know I've I think I've always tried in some form to separate myself from my physical, my physicality, my art form. So I could feel more as an individual, Yeah, but it always, you have to integrate it. Yeah. Always. And it's just like, okay, like I have to accept this and it, and it's not a negative thing. It's actually like, I'm just discovering more about it within myself through other forms, you know? And that's why I started the Chelsea Kiefer podcast. Like that was a way for me to, still be a dancer but be a dancer who can speak up on vulnerability and have a voice yeah and that aspect and also help people understand more of what our career looks like yeah um but then it's also like the yoga aspect where like the mindfulness comes into it to where you know I can walk into work and choose to not engage with certain behaviors of other people or I won't react as well um and you know I for me to process something that may be frustrating, I can, I'll do it through therapy or I'll do it through journaling, but always if like, if I can do an improvisation session by myself in my apartment, like that feels the most fulfilling. Yeah. Um, have you ever like felt like you had like a negative relationship with your body? Oh Yeah. Definitely. Um, and, and this is something that I have, I've created a workshop for students right now. Cool. Um, usually 12 to 22. Um, and I talk to them about that relationship with the mirror. Um, the mirror causes a lot of issues for dancers yeah. and their perception of themselves. And I still struggle with it today. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really trying to train people to take the emotion out of what they're doing when they're in the studio doing a technique class or working on a rehearsal. Um, because eventually like if you are doing a role that has a lot of emotion to it, yeah, you want to start developing that side from the get go. Um, but when you're training and you're in that kind of pre-professional setting, um, that's when you start to recognize the trends within kids, you know, like where the bulimia or the anorexia starts to come in. And mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, I, I am only eating this today because I feel this. And yeah. it's like, 
it's it's the conversation between the kids that needs to stop and that's mm-hmm. where I'm telling them now like you need to be a leader you need to catch yourself you need to change your habitual mindset because this is the story you are creating this is the story you are telling about yourself and how your life is going to be shaped yeah you know it's really hard I mean I can't even imagine like I'm I'm a singer which like is it's it's visual it's not even close to what you guys are dealing with mm. but it's really hard to to know that like your 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 physicality or like your visual presentation like does have an effect on your job mm-hmm. and again like so much less for me than for mm. you but even even what i feel like i deal with of like you know, if I'm not this or that enough or, or maybe not even this or that enough, but just like knowing that the way that I present visually mm-hmm. affects who's going to click on it, who's mm-hmm. going to listen, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that cover photo on Spotify, like that means some, it has a direct effect yeah. on like right, right. who listens. Um, that's, that's hard for me, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. to try to, you know, to, to really have to ask myself, like, which of the what what parts of this conversation are productive for mm, me mm-hmm. and what is the boundary between like I don't I I go this far um because like what what part of it is work mm. what if it is like vanity what if it is just like unhealthy right it's a it is a trip yeah yeah, yeah. I agree I agree I mean it's it's a constant discovery for myself like I I I noticed during quarantine that I wouldn't look at myself in the mirror in my apartment. Yeah. I would just kind of walk past myself where the first thing would be a negative thought. Mm. And I was just like, whoa, what's this about? Like, let's address this, (laughs) you know? And so I started doing some like mirror therapy and I, I had this woman on my podcast, Juliette Burnett, and she talks about how like if, you know, like she's like, sometimes I'll go and try and do those things, but then I'll just kind of laugh at myself like you're being silly. Yeah. And she's like, if you can't laugh at yourself, then yeah. like you're taking yourself way too seriously. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think that's what I do. I just take everything to the like most serious, like yeah. furthest extent of like it has to be, you know. It has to matter. It matter. Has to like, yeah. yeah. I think I'm like that too. That's just like mm-hmm. a personality thing. Yeah. Like, and again, it's like you need that in order mm-hmm. to have done the things you've done. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then like as an older, as an adult to like try to rebalance. And, and that's again, this, this kind of continued, like this creative resilience that I think mm-hmm. like we all are doing it as, as adult creatives, but I don't know that we're always like thinking about it because yeah. it's so, it's such a given right. for our lives. Um, but I, but I think a lot of people would be interested to know or, or surprised to know on like how much of a daily basis we're having to like creatively reframe. Oh yeah. It's crazy stuff. Yeah, it is. So you, so how long were you in Tulsa? Three years. Okay. So the first year you mm-hmm. were there, then the second year you got your yoga certification mm-hmm. and then the third year you're doing like all this yoga Mm-hmm. You're also working this other job. You're dancing all the time. Yeah. And you're feeling some of that love kind of. Yeah. Fade. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was actually teaching at like five different yoga studios at the time. I had actually quit that f- restaurant job. No more that Flemings. Third, no more Flemings. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I had enough money to survive. <laughs> cool. Uh, and were you, you're being paid by the company yes, too? Yes, I okay. was. Yeah. Tell me like the levels. So like you were saying before, like demi soloist, like what are right. the, what are the so things? So a lot of companies have their own ranking styles. Okay. But um, the general at least what Ballet West is, um, we have 
the Ballet West Second Company, which is like their pre-professional program where you're getting paid, but you're not on salary. You get like a monthly stipend or a weekly stipend. Okay. Um, and then if you get into the company, then you are typically in a, you go apprentice or new dancer where you're making like a couple more hundred dollars a week and you're on salary. Okay. And then there's court ballet member. Then there's demi-soloist, soloist, first soloist principal. Okay. Um, but that's Ballet West. Ballet West has like, you know, that what many are, ranking like, systems. Can you say, can you tell me like what, what might be like some salary ranges for like a principal dancer or um, whatever? It depends. I mean, I would say if some of the principals in New York are making over 200 grand. Cool. Um, the principals here, I would say closer to like maybe 70 or 80. Cool. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to have an idea. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's I mean, that's similar to like a lot of engineers, like mm-hmm. computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot more computer scientists than right. principal dancers. Yes, <laughs> it's so competitive. So okay, so you decided to leave Tulsa. Do you mm-hmm. think? I'm I'm sure some of that was just like you're you're 23. Wait, yeah, you were 23, 23. Mm-hmm. and you're starting to just feel tired and yeah. like have some of these bigger like life questions mm-hmm. and a combination of it sounds like the culture there wasn't yeah the culture in the company wasn't great yeah yeah I mean I had some really great friends and some really great roommates while I was there but there was just nothing for me to do outside of like working all the time yeah. I didn't enjoy living in Tulsa like the Tulsa was flatlands you know mm-hmm. I mean I had loved going to concerts there was some good um you know restaurants there but like that was yeah. kind of it and I really missed you're such a doer I, yeah, you need I'm, mountains I need mountains you need to ski yeah exactly <laughs> I needed to get back into the mountains and just I don't know f- have that like relationship yeah to With something the, the that was bigger earth, the yeah, land. yeah yeah um yeah cool that makes mm-hmm. perfect sense yeah so when you came back did you have to um audition for Ballet West so I had already auditioned for Ballet West in the my last season with Tulsa Ballet, I had come back home for Christmas, okay. and um, that week I was home for Christmas. Ballet West was still performing there in Nutcracker, and I came in and took two days of audition classes. Okay, and um, Adam Scoot, the director, uh, he was like, "Well, I can offer you second company," and I was like, "No, that's yeah. below me." I was offered demi soloist at Tulsa, and I, you know, I'm not going to take anything below core. Yeah, you know. And core was already a step down in my mind yeah. um, just because I'd been doing principal roles with Tulsa Ballet. Right. At, and um, so I, you know, Adam was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can make it happen, but it has to do a lot with the finances of the company and if we sure. can hire you on. And so then we talked a little bit more and he's like, well, I can off- offer you a supplemental contract, which is a part-time contract. Okay. And I was like, that actually works out great because I then I can, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be home. I want to decide if this is actually what, actually what I want to do. And I want to work on school. And yeah. that's when I would like kind of found my mom and I actually found the human development degree to where it was offered online and I could, you know, f- figure it out and work on it. Um, how, how long ago was that? Um, seven, almost seven years ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then you, then you finished your degree and we're part-time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to say about like that time or maybe, I mean, 
how did you kind of come back to the decision yeah. that it was going to so, be ballet? Um, I had, I used to tour with a company actually before Tulsa Ballet when I was 16, um, Aspen Santa Fe Ballet. They're okay. based in Aspen, Colorado. And, and my they, sister-in-law did that. Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. So I'm, I'm like, I'm vaguely yeah. aware. Yeah. I didn't know her when she was doing that. Like, oh, okay. She's a little older than me and like yeah. we weren't in the same family until right. after her injury. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I wanted, I knew I needed to make some more money because I had, I think I had moved in with some friends. Um, yeah, I had gotten a, a house with like three or four other friends. And, and so, you were still teaching yoga too? Yes. Okay. Um, well, actually, no, I didn't find this. I may had my own studio for about two months. Cool. Cool. Because <laughs> um, I had applied at a bunch of places here in Salt Lake and I was just, I didn't connect with anybody. Kind of saturated here. Yeah. yeah. And it just felt like it was such a scene. And I was just like, man, I just, if I'm going to teach, I'm going to do my own thing just because I'm not in alignment with a lot I of what's that. happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was like, I need to make some extra money. Like maybe I can get this job with Aspen after I do Giselle and then I can come back and do Swan Lake. And so, and then still focus on school. And you were doing Giselle, that was part-time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Giselle happened for like from September to October with and this Valley was West. Seven years ago. Okay. Yes. And then I went and joined Aspen for like end of November to mid-December and I get a call when I'm touring with Aspen and uh, I get a call from Bally West and I'm like, hey, we had a girl go out. When can you come back and do Nutcracker with us? Yeah. And so I was like, uh, I finish in like a week, like send me the videos and I'll catch up and teach myself the choreography. Wow. And so I... I finished my performances with um, Aspen. We were actually finishing our shows in, shows in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Okay. I finished my shows. Had to change my flight out from to from Albuquerque to here, like on a Monday morning. I flew in at like six a.m., landed at like nine, went into straight to the studio, went to rehearsals. I had a half hour of snow, a half hour of flowers. And I was like, cool. So when's my first show? They're like tonight. And I was like, Oh, my oh gosh. okay. I thought maybe you maybe put me on stage tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and like, just kind of in that moment coming back to doing like the ballet West Nutcracker, which is what I've been doing since I was right? eight years old. Yeah. was just kind of like, okay, yeah, it let's came, keep doing it came this. Back. Yeah. And then I got to do the four signets, the swans, the yeah. four little swans in yeah. Swan Lake um, that February, right after Nutcracker. And I was wow. just like, wow, another dream role kind of accomplished. Yeah. So at that point, I was like, okay, you just have to build up your mental game. Like, this is hard, mm. but like, this is what you love. You're not, there's no way you can do a nine to five job. You will not last. Totally. You know? I've had. I've had that thought too. I'm 32 mm -hmm. and yeah, I finished my master's degree when I was 24 and yeah, there have been several times in the, mm -hmm. in the, in that gap mm -hmm. that I've kind of gone like, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> um, like, should I have just gone to law school or like, should mm -hmm. I have just done something else? And I always come back to that same thought too of like the stuff that's hard about this is like the hard that makes more sense. Yeah. I mean, and you know, mm -hmm. it's always possible that things as we get older, like mm -hmm. things will continue to kind of change. Mm -hmm. And so much of it has to do with like the world oh, too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, like our, our businesses are like null right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we can't do anything. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, 
I think, like I was saying before, it's one of those things that I think you just have to keep applying creative yeah. brain power to. Totally. So you knew that you loved ballet, but you needed to up your mental game. Mm-hmm. And and what did that mean? Um, it meant for me to do less, actually. Yeah. Because um, that first year I had moved back, um, I was kind of teaching classes, like yoga classes for fun at this studio my friend was letting me borrow. And, um, I was also volunteering at the Odyssey house and juvenile delinquent center for girls. And I was teaching them yoga and, uh, was still working on school. And I was just like, okay, I've been giving myself to everybody else, but to me. Yeah. And so, and I had been doing that up until then, you know, yeah. and th- th- you were like 25, 23 still. Yeah. Okay, that's so that's like kind that, of this big year. Yeah. That one big year. And so I was like, all right, we need to do less. And so I just focused on school and dance and I kind of took everything else out. And then, um, I graduated and from the U in 2017 and, um, that's when I was like, okay, I'm just going to dance. And I did that for almost two years. And then the Chelsea Kiefer podcast happened in 2019. Okay. I didn't know you had a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know that. Okay. Wait. So, okay. So you were dancing just only, Mm -hmm. um, uh, for those two years. Right. Um, yeah. And then tell, tell me, tell me all the things. Yeah. So I, it was really hard for me to just, just dance for two years. Like, yeah. Cause you're busy. I'm busy. I'm a busy bee. I have to always be doing something because that's what makes me feel worthy. And so I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I got to break down that conversation of Mm -hmm. what's happening. And so I actually had gotten my own apartment by that point. I was living downtown and I just was like reading a lot and doing a lot of self care and, journaling and meditating more. And, um, then I was like, you know what, I'm going to start sharing some of these meditations with my friends. And so I started doing these live Instagrams like every Sunday Yeah, and I would be on there for like 20 minutes and just give a meditation and read poetry from some of my favorite poets. And then I started doing that out of my apartment and, um, I was like, okay, I am ready to start kind of giving myself back a little bit more because I feel like I've done enough like recuperating. Yeah. And so um, I was really trying to just figure out how to like promote myself um, and just share what I knew from yoga and like what has helped me get to where I'm at today and what I knew from my human development degree. Mm. And So I had built my website and I don't remember how the podcast kind of came in, but it was just like, how long have you been doing it? About a year. Cool. Cool. A little over a year. I didn't know that. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. And so what kind of got me to do it was just like, I want to be a dancer that speaks up on the harder times of vulnerability. And that's what I'm doing too. Yeah. It's important. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you like, like, why do you think, I mean, why do you think that you what happened? Um, I think I just was, I was ready to speak up on an issue that's never addressed. And, um, I was kind of ready to show like the darker sides of human beings, which, you know, I tend to resonate with a little bit more on emotions. And so I was like, okay, how do I express this, but not make it like, you know, a sad thing, but just like, you know, a realistic thing. And then also 
add in like what has kept me going. What is what are the routines I have brought into my life that have made me feel grounded and worthy and yeah. all those things. Is yeah. your podcast mostly geared toward dancers? Um, for the most part, I've had a lot of other artists on as well. Cool. Um, I've had Joshi Soul and um, a few yoga teachers, a few authors, um, some directors of ballet companies. Cool. Um, yeah. But it's mostly for it's mostly, mostly for dancers. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking with dancers. Your your goal is to help dancers to deal with some of these yes. mental things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about like um that you've done or Yeah. That- so I actually I did my first nonprofit event where I cool. was the creative director for the evening this past cool. uh February. And, um, I really dove into metamorphosis and what metamorphosis means to me. And just that like caterpillar turning into a cocoon and turning into goo and then turning into a butterfly, you know? Um, and it was so funny. I had really been diving into it. I, this past summer I went to, um, the Hague in Amsterdam or in Netherlands. And, um, I trained out there for two weeks with one of my dream companies Cool. and it's actually a very contemporary company. And so it was a big challenge for me to kind of step back into that space because I actually resonate more with contemporary, but I really love the classical. Um, so I was just trying to discover more about my body and, um, we had done one of the this one of the pieces by the director, um, Paul Lightfoot, and it just has the it's the beautiful like Philip Glass metamorphosis music, yeah. yeah. And um, I just I it stuck with me, and it was all I could think about. And then I had a friend who started a nonprofit called One Small Miracle mm. that helps people within the service industry. So if you're okay. injured on the job or don't have insurance, we can help you out. And so he's like, I want to do an event that you know, forces people in our community to kind of dive more into themselves. And I was like, metamorphosis, let's do this, you know? Yeah. And so I spent from August until February creating a 45 minute ballet, well, or piece, um, that featured six live musicians, six artists. Um, and we did it at the McEwen mansion in Salt Lake. And, uh, it was really, really fun to speak on emotions through the body um, on the six basic emotions of joy, fear, surprise, sadness, um, disgust. And I think that was it. Anger. Yeah. Anger. Yes. Yeah. Anger. Yeah. yeah. As if I say anger. And that's the one I danced was yeah. anger. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. And we don't, we don't talk enough about it. Mm-mm. Yeah. So that's actually what my TEDx is about is anger. Cool. How we express anger. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. When are you doing that? Um, September 19th. Amazing. Yeah. And the, is that here? TEDx yeah. In Salt Lake? Yeah. They're going to be doing it at Kingsbury Hall. Um, they're going to be offering live stream tickets though. Do you want to say anything about anger today um, right now? Yeah, totally. Uh, so I might botch this quote, but um, it's OK. <laughs> there's this book, <laughs> Emotional Intelligence by Howard Gardner and um, or no, Daniel Goleman, Goldman, Goldman. And we'll figure he it out. Features, yeah, he features a clinical psychologist, Howard Gardner, who speaks on emotional intelligence. And he says, um, but like the kinesthetic realm where physical brilliance manifests itself non-verbally extends to through the language, uh, extends to, to language and cognition. Mm. And so, you know, kind of breaking that quote down is what I'm going to be talking about and how, you know, when we're processing emotions of anger 
it can be such a drive for certain people to like do more. But a lot of the times it's moments of annoyance or disassociation. And so you're not fully processing it. And then it's, it's affecting your relationship with yourself, with your partners, with your family, you know, and I just feel like there is so much anger right now that is needing to be expressed and it's finally coming out. But now how are people moving through it and processing it? Um, and, and so, yeah, I've just been, I created this duet on my friend Hadriel Dinez and I for this event, um, that was back in February and we're going to do that same duet and change it up a little bit. Um, but it is very much about a relationship and just how, you know, there's so much going on behind that nonverbal communication of body movement. And I think if we can get more in tune with that, then we're going to be building up more of our emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Am I understanding you right? It's like the, the quote is maybe kind of saying that like, anger first is physical like mm. anger it gets mm-hmm. is that right like it gets yeah. out physically and yeah. then like it's kind of up to you whether you want to like yeah or it process should, it verbally yeah. it yeah it, yeah definitely and like integrate it in yes. your brain yeah exactly. exactly which we're we are not good at mm. i think for everybody and especially for women mm-hmm. it's such anger is such a taboo emotion mm. like mm-hmm. i i've i've talked about this a bit um i've talked about this a bit just in my own like writing my composing and stuff but um yeah I mean I feel like I didn't actually I didn't feel like I experienced anger that I let myself feel until I was like 27 Mm. you know like Mm -hmm. because it was just like what angry no Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. frustrated annoyed like you said like dissociated like yeah but like anger is it's an action emotion it's Mm -hmm. it's important it's a it's a it's an important clue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I agree definitely okay so let's last just talk about so again, like the podcast is called Artifice because yes. I think it's a cool word and because I think mm-hmm. that we have these like behind the scenes, like hidden kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll ask first, um, do you feel, what do you feel, um, what's the relationship between yourself and the art that you make mm. in terms of like um, how much of yourself is in it or do mm. you feel like it like changes you or like just what? What yeah. is the relationship yeah, between I mean, yourself de- and your art? It depends on what I'm performing. It It is like what's happening in that present moment. Yeah. Um, but there is always a part of myself coming through um, that needs to be expressed. Um, just in maybe something that I've never discovered before and I'm trying to discover mm-hmm. it more. Um, or a past trauma or a past like a triumph. Yeah. Um, I think that is what... I'm always striving for within myself as an artist is like the utmost raw, vulnerable truth yeah. truth of a human being. Yeah. How do you deal with those, um, those moments where like the character or like the role that you need to play isn't like matching mm. with like the mm. Chelsea you are that day? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, it's hard. I mean, I've, I've had to do some roles that have actually hit me very close to home. That was really hard to like not personally bring into the studio. Yeah. You got to keep a boundary, keep a boundary. It's so hard. Yeah. It's such a fine, Mm -hmm. fine line as an Mm -hmm. artist. You have to go like right to it Yeah, and not like a step Mm -hmm. past. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, there's been times when I've given too much to it and I like 
coming out of it, it's like I have to, I go through a phase of like grieving, yeah. you know, and I know that I've like, I have to remind myself like, okay, you just process something, you express something that maybe somebody else needed to feel like that's yeah. what you are here to do. That's how I, that, I feel like that's how I do it too. When I'm, mm-hmm. when I'm in either direction, whether the, I'm, I'm having, you know, as a vocalist or a performer to step into a, an emotion that doesn't feel like me that day. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like too much, if it's too much me mm-hmm. that day, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm worried I'm going to like, it's going to crack through a little. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, the, the thing that I do is remember like it's for the audience yeah, and to kind of let that like empathy for them, like mm. sort of regulate. Yeah. Um, the performance. Totally. Totally. So my next question is, is kind of about that. How, what do you, do you have any thoughts or do you want to say anything about your relationship with the audience? Mm. And I kind of, I like to think of it in two ways. Like Mm -hmm. I think of it like that with the artist and the art too. Mm -hmm. Like how does the art change you? How do you affect the art? Mm -hmm. And then in the same way with the audience, what are your thoughts about like your relationship with the audience? Um, I, so I've heard this quote. I don't know who it's by, but um, when you're in a live performance with like orchestra or opera or the ballet, um, your everybody's heartbeats connect mm. on the same level, and yeah. they're beating at the same time. And I think that that is such a moment of human connection yeah. that is being expressed non-verbally, and that is something that I crave for every single time I go on yeah. stage, like I want people to feel, feel grounded in what they're seeing. And, and, and a lot of the times, you know, when you're an audience member, you're projecting your own self onto whoever you're watching. Totally. And so I, I love to allow that person to do that to yeah. me, you know, like I am a vessel in some form, but there's a lot of me coming through it. Yeah. Um, and but leaving enough kind of up for interpretation or yeah and so I I just really love that sort of nonverbal connection yeah I think that's what it really comes down to do you think there's a difference between the audience's relationship with the dance and the audience's relationship with you Mm. yeah I would say so I mean if there's more of a story behind it like in a classical ballet then they're more kind of the story story you know Um, but when you're getting into more of those abstract contemporary pieces I would say that's when more of the dancer comes out yeah cool Mm -hmm. um is there anything you want to say about like just ballet as an art form and like what you wish people like knew about it or like any tools for how people Mm. should think about it yeah yeah I mean I think it's a moment for you to discover more about your own body your own vessel which with what you are working with. Um, I think it's a moment for you to connect with your community, um, and hear live music. Um, that's, I think art is really going to come out of this situation thriving. I think artists are going to be the ones leading us to where we want to go because we're expressing what maybe somebody else cannot express. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to ballet, I think just, have that childlike outlook on it. Um, give yourself the space to sit and watch 
Yeah. Don't, you know, you don't need to be doing something else or find something to distract you. Yeah. Like give yourself that moment to sit with yourself and see something that could be very, you know, yeah. Just let yourself be in that kind of wonderment yeah. of like, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that you feel like you want to talk about in terms of like art or creativity? Um, or, or art identity? Um, not really. I mean, I guess I would just say like, it's becoming a master of something is mm. really beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of artists are doing today. And just knowing that like you have this like plethora of information is like maybe something we should remind ourselves of more often, you know? Yeah. Totally. You mm-hmm. mean like, you you mean like, do you feel like each person should do their own version of that? Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think that too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, you know, I want to interview artists just because I like art. Mm-hmm. I like artists. Um, and also because I know that art professional artists are creative. Mm-hmm. Um, creativity belongs to everybody. Yes. Curiosity belongs to everybody. Um, working toward excellence belongs to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're doing it in such like a obvious way. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I agree like that. Um, there's something really like powerful Mm -hmm. about like, um, yeah, like being an expert or like being holding like, um, holding kind of like the keys to like mm-hmm. a, a body of knowledge or, or a skill. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then taking it a step further and yeah, like sharing it. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Cool. Yeah. Well, okay. So great. At the end of the podcast, I always ask everybody, what's your dream collaboration Ooh. on this day? Like who would you love to work with? And you mm. can sky's mm-hmm. the limit. Yeah. Um, Wow. That's that's a really good question. Um, there, there's a few choreographers that I would love to work with. Um, uh, Marco Goke, he's a beautiful choreographer based mostly in Europe, um, and like never comes to the U.S. <laughs> but he's, I, I love how he works. Yeah, um, like what, what can you he, say, like what you love about so it? So he... I watched a documentary on him and he's somebody that like has a lot of um, personal like kind of traumas within himself mm. and like it gets like splitting headaches and struggles with really bad anxiety. Mm. Um, but he his choreography and the way he has dancers move is just something I've never seen before. Cool. Um, it's like and he'll he just has like he's really developed his own character like he Mm. will sit in the studio and smoke cigarettes and then like wear his sunglasses all day long and like he'll sit like not even a foot away from the dancer and have the dancer going over their choreography right in front of his face yeah and it's just it's just an image an experience that I would love to have because yeah. he is looking at that artist for who they are and how they move their body. Yeah. Um, and he is someone that is expressing more of those like chaotic sides. Mm. And I just, 
I love that. It sounds like it, you're curious. Yeah. yeah I'm that's super cool. curious about it. But yeah, he's he's probably the one that's cool. on my mind. I love yeah. it. Um, yeah. And then finally, tell everybody where to find you. Yeah. So um, I have the Chelsea Kiefer podcast on Instagram. And then I also have my personal account, Kiefer Chels. Um, I've got a website, chelsea-kiefer.com. You can find me at ballywest.org. Um, read my bio and um, just kind of connect with me. Great. There, yeah. I'm so glad that we finally made this I happen. Know, me too. And that there wasn't like I was texting Chelsea last night. There was like an evacuation order for my street because of the fire. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's real. Um, until like la- late last night, mm-hmm. I was gonna message you last night, and then I was like, I'll just text her in the morning. Yeah. But yeah, I'm so glad that like it worked me and that you too. were able to come and that your lungs are not filled with smoke. Yeah. Thank thanks for the rain you know like right. we got had rain last night and it was really like i feel like it's like tamped all this the smoke and ash down yeah, yeah andrew my husband it took like he was out yesterday like there's this ter- crazy wind mm. and he was just like um you know just making sure like all the gates were closed and stuff and when he came in like his ears were all just like full of soot and ash oh my god anyway it's been a surreal couple of days but nevertheless i'm so glad that you're here thank you, <laughs> we thank finally you for did having this interview. me it's yes. my pleasure and it was yeah. great to meet you and you thanks Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.